Ladies and gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen. We love movies with Gordon Hayden. This film blew me away. So that's against the rules, and you can't sit with us. Did we just become best friends? Yep. Hasta la vista, baby. And the winner is... We Love Movies with Gordon Hayden. Spin. Hello, and you are very welcome along to We Love Movies. Always good to have your company. Coming up very shortly, we will have a roundup of all the big movie stories from the week. Plus, we will be taking a look at the new sequel in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre series, which is trying to do pretty much what David Gordon Green's Halloween series is doing, which where they kind of whitewash all the sequels that came before it. And this film is the official number two in the series. Mind you, a lot of the, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre sequels haven't been great, so it'll be interesting to see how this one fares. We'll be getting into that and loads more coming up very shortly right here on Spin. We Love Movies with Gordon Hayden on Spin. Yes, you are listening to We Love Movies. I'm Gordon Hayden and I'm joined by Chris Wasser, Olivia Fahey and Andy McCarroll. And we're going to chat about some of the big movie stories from the week. One of which, Andy, and i got to say, I think this is... This, this seems like really bad casting on behalf of the Oscars because we were only ch- previewing the Oscars last week and we were chatting about who we would love to have as our ideal host of the ceremony. And I mentioned Jim Carrey and I know we were kind of flying the flag for maybe bringing back Kevin Hart in from the cold again. But uh, obviously that's a prospect that will never happen. But the Academy has decided to go with three presenters. Now, granted, they've never gone with three female presenters before. You think, okay, that sounds great. But who they've gone with, Andy, I think is like, I wouldn't even hire these for the Brave Film Festival, not to mind the Oscars. So for anyone that hasn't a clue who is on uh, presenting duties this year, who is it? So you have three hosts, Regina Hall, who has done films like Girl Trip, The Hate You Give, Wanda Sykes, who was in Curb Your Enthusiasm, and Amy Schumer, who was in Trainwreck and is probably most famous for stealing other people's jokes. It's just an absolute bizarre mix of people. And apparently they're going to be given different sections. So it's not as if the three of them are going to be together. It might be like Regina Hall does an error, Amy Schumer does an error, Wanda Sykes does an error. And just how you go from apparently Steve Martin, Martin Short, and uh, Selena Gomez were offered it initially. They had uh, filming issues with only murders in the building season two so they couldn't do it john ham was offered it and to go from that to this this just feels like there's probably about 15 names between you know steve martin and them that they went through before they ended up on this i'm also convinced that amy schumer was hired by mistake and they thought it was amy poehler who hosted the the golden globes from parks <laughs> and recreation i think when that was the press release was done somebody was looking at the screen going, oh no 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 that, that's not the one i was thinking of it's an absolute bizarre choice of, of people to have it's like the, the whole thing with the oscars this year was like you know the viewership last year was the lowest it's ever been this year we know we're going to bring back a host we're going to like boost the profile and whatever i say about like the, the rock i'm not the biggest fan you put the rock host in the oscars you can promote the tequila all you want it's gonna draw viewers who regina hall amy schumer and wanda sykes this massive fan base they think they're tapping into is i, I don't know it's absolutely insane it was one of those i saw amy schumer posted on twitter I don't know who thought it was a good idea, but I'm hosting the Oscars. And I just went past assuming, oh, this is her trying to be funny. I don't really get the joke. And then saw it again. I was like, oh, no, they've actually given it to her. Like, I, the logic behind why they would pick this three people, like there's a, a list somewhere on a desk that is just with every name in Hollywood crossed off before you get to here. Absolutely. They don't feel as if they were the first choice. They feel like they were very much the bottom of the rung. Chris, um, 
I, I'm just not feeling this at all. I, I think Amy Schumer, it feels like her time has come and gone. Like when Judd Apatow cast her in Trainwreck, it felt like she was on the cusp of big things. And it just hasn't really going to happen there for her. And with the greatest respect to Wanda Sykes and Regina Hall, um, who are very funny in their own right, they don't exactly scream box office material. What's your take on this uh, casting? Yeah, um, it's not what I expected. And when you asked us last week who we thought might be hosting the Oscars, none of us ever thought it was going to be handed to Amy Schumer. And I'd like to congratulate Andy on that joke there. That's that's very good. Maybe they did think they were ringing Amy Poehler. It would have been a fabulous choice. Even bring Tina Faye and Amy Poehler back to 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 to, to host the Oscars instead of the Golden Globes. That would have been brilliant. Um, but Amy Schumer, look, Amy Schumer at the minute is kind of in my good books because I thought she was fantastic in The Humans, uh, which we reviewed here a while ago. But not so much that now I want to see her host the biggest night in cinema. Um, I really am not in the mood for this, you know, three hours of deadpan monologuing and, you know, jokes that, you know, very, you know, ironic stand up material in between, you know, giving out the awards. I'm just I, I, I'm not really in the humor of that. I, like, I don't think anyone really is. Uh, Wanda Sykes, Wanda Sykes is very funny, uh, but. Again, like very low down on the list when it comes to, okay, who do I want to see do the Oscars? Regina Hall is probably my favorite there. I always thought Regina Hall, in terms of the films that she picks, is punching way below her waist. Uh, you know, she she does kind of make these very broad uh, uh, American comedies. And, and then every now and then does something special like The Hate You Give. Um, but there is there is always this thing when you're watching Regina Hall in the film thinking, yeah, Regina can do a lot better than this. You know, give her better material. So maybe she might excel at this. Maybe she might be great. But I just think, guys, the, the, the Oscars have, have proved, they have actually, they've actually proven, okay, the Academy, they've kind of embarrassed themselves recently with their Twitter, uh, with their Twitter feed, especially. If you haven't been keeping an eye on the Academy uh, of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences Twitter page, go look at it now and you will see it's almost as though they are run by people that are so out of touch that have just discovered Twitter for the first time and are discovering memes and gifts for the first time. And it's, it's very embarrassing. It's almost as though, and, and it's, quite, it's quite strange because despite everything that's happened in the world over the last couple of years, the Oscars that they put together have managed to, you know, they've managed to salvage the awards ceremony in the last couple of years, whether it's not having the venue, whether it's not being able to have, you know, all of the movie stars there for obvious reasons, whether it's, you know, they, they haven't had any host, they've done okay. Now, this is almost a step backwards. I mean, we, we haven't had one host for the last couple of years. Why, why do we need three? Gordon, I could rant about this all day. I just I support Andy on this. It's, it's the wrong decision. Yeah, it seems the other thing with this as well is now they have a Twitter fan thing for an Oscars yeah. fan favorite to try and, you know, boost more viewers, which is clearly just, you know, here's our excuse to get Tom Holland and Zendaya on the stage for Spider Man to give something for you know, populous because the list of films this year isn't, you know, exactly box office breakers. But yeah, like Chris said, it just seems like it's one mistake after another. Yeah, but with that fan favorite film, it, because remember a few, was it maybe two years ago, they were thinking of bringing in a category, like I think there was something along the best blockbuster of the year. And then everyone was like going, that is a horrendous idea. Whereas that fan favorite, it's essentially a big Twitter poll, isn't it? And I don't even know if they win. Do they win an Oscar? Whoever comes comes out on top, I think it's just you've just got the the accolade more so than the actual award. Oh, absolutely not! I don't think they did. No. They and it's weird because it has actually, uh, in you know, a very sad state of affairs. We we do have reports on it now that the winner will win an Oscar. That's oh. not true at all. That's uh, so basically, it was a very poor joke. That even that 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 people like myself are even misinterpreting. So it's all very confusing. I would just say to the Academy's Twitter people, put down the phones. 
Yeah, it's so a one for all voucher. I think they win. I was going to say, the worst thing about it is that it could actually see the Snyder Cut of the Justice League win because a lot of people have been tweeting for that. <laughs> and that, in my opinion, is the biggest travesty of all. So even if you don't like Spider-Man No Way Home, at least vote for it over Justice League. Please, please, for the love of God. Hey, Olivia, just, just set up for... Sorry, go ahead. Oh, just with... The, just with the, um, oh, no, sorry, Andy, you come in there now, actually. You, sorry, I'm going to cross you there. I was just going to say, this has been set up for a fan hacking thing. Like, this is going to end up with either Lady Gaga winning for House of Gucci or Snyder winning for Snyder Cut and just people taking this as all of a sudden, you know, well, le- legitimizing their opinion. <laughs> Have you seen House of Gucci? You should be. <laughs> she was good. <laughs> yeah, as, as Chris was saying earlier, it's kind of the Regina Hall thing. Like, yeah, you're not bad in this, but this is terrible. <laughs> just to go back to the host Olivia um it does feel like a bit of a box ticking exercise because you've got you know two women of color there Regina Hall uh, Wanda Sykes both the different varying age categories there and then you've got the crass comedian Amy Schumer have they have they worked together before in the past do we know if they're if they've even got the chemistry there I, I would have thought if you were going to be picking three people that again look at Tina Fey Amy Poehler They've known each other for years. The chemistry is just on point. It's it's seamless. This one just strikes me like we might actually properly get a train wreck of a ceremony. Oh, I see what you did there. Hmm. <laughs> um, no, I completely agree. I think that I even had to Google to see had they worked together before because even Schumer was saying, she was like, oh, my lovely friends and things like that. I was like, I didn't even know you guys knew each other like there's never been any mention of this but of course that's not to say that they don't know each other and are friends or whatever outside of work or paparazzi photos but it's just so peculiar because all of their comedic styles are also very different so how that's actually going to blend on stage is it's not exactly very clear and we've seen it before when you've matched a bunch of people who you might not think actually go very well together but it's like ah sure opposites attract maybe it'll work it doesn't like uh, I think Franco and Hathaway is a prime example of two people who should not have been paired together to host the Oscars and I have a big fear that this is something that's that's going to go down that route like if you want to do the box ticking exercise I think Maya Rudolph and Kristen Wiig would have been much better at that um but at the end of the day this is what they've gone with and as much as I love Regina Hall and I liked her in um Nine Perfect Strangers which was on Amazon last year um I no I'm very worried I'm very worried yeah I don't think it's gonna be a great ceremony at all but there you go that is the Oscars and the state of play there at the moment we're not holding out much hope for for this year's ceremony now just to move on to some other movie news this week what did you all think of the trailer for the new Lord of the Rings series on Amazon because they've spent an awful lot of money, Amazon. Um, granted, the trailer, it's short. It, it's pretty much a, a Super Bowl teaser, really, if, if anything. But it gives you kind of a sense of it. Chris, if you're going to be spending a billion, and that's what the reported budget is, a billion, I think it's just, it's, I don't know if this is for the first season or because they, they're intending to make five seasons, which is hmm. set very much within the second age in Middle Earth. I definitely want to see something that is truly epic in scale that it feels like like the money is there on the screen. It feels like a film as opposed to a TV series. And that might be disparaging to television because there is an awful lot of incredible television out there at the moment that looks like a film and would give a lot of movies a run for their money. But I definitely want to see the quality there on the screen. Um, have you seen the trailer? And if so, what did you think of it? Did you see the money on the screen? 
Yeah, I mean, not yet, not yet. And that, that billion dollars, I think that's going to be spent over five years or over five seasons. And actually, this thing has been in development for a couple of years now, but each season will cost somewhere in the region of $200 million to, uh, to produce, uh, making it the most expensive television series ever made. Now, this is all reliant on, you know, people actually watching and enjoying and investing in this thing from the beginning, because we're not going to get five seasons of The Lord of the Rings if no one's watching. Um, I, you know, look, this, this might work. I'm I'm not overly confident about it. For a start, you know, it might be you know a little bit of, a little bit of snobbish of me to say this, but if we're going to get more Lord of the Rings, I I would like to see it you know in in the cinema as opposed to you know the television or my laptop or whatever it is I'm going to be watching this on. Um, I don't really feel as though there are any stories there that you know I I don't really feel as though I need more Lord of the Rings in my life. You know, we had the three fabulous films and then we had three not so fabulous films, and now I don't really know if I want a television show. The one one thing I will say is there, there seems to be an emphasis on, you know, uh, when it when it comes to the cast on on, on working with, you know, uh, some some very talented actors as opposed to some very big names. So you have Morphe Clark in there. Uh, you've got uh, Robert Aromeo. You've got uh, Benjamin Walker. These are all, you know, these are all very decent actors. Uh, and then for some reason, Lenny Henry's in the mix. But there, there seems Lenny to be Henry. a focus. <laughs> Lenny Henry. Oh my God! How random Let, is that? It's very random. He plays a, a half holder, and I half expect Lenny Henry to come into an episode of Lord of the Rings and start promoting the premiere in, and uh, for 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 a gang of hobbits. Um, you know, look, I I I think look that that might be its unique selling point that we do have some great acting talent here, as opposed to you know movie stars in the making. But at the same time, I don't know, Andy, Olivia, are are you interested in the Lord of the Rings series? I'm just like, okay, fair enough. I am like I've I've I literally just watched all the Lord of the Rings films uh, again quite recently, and I had been quite excited to see it. But mm, that trailer, it's definitely a teaser. It gives pretty much nothing away. You get a first look at everybody pretty much, but you got that from the images that they released beforehand. So it didn't really add anything to it. Like when they had the the first like proper teaser where it was just showing like the making of the ring and announcing the title. Yeah, that was a good way to get you excited for it and call back to the originals. But this, it was like, yes, we see some fighting. We see some characters. We see some of this and some of that. This is all very familiar and lovely. And, oh, that's it. And that was pretty much it. I was a bit underwhelmed. Like in comparison to some of the other trailers that dropped during the Super Bowl, this was the one that I probably forgot about the most. Like granted, I know there's probably about the best part of seven months before we get the actual season itself but it, it's very little to come away with from this trailer grant i know it's a teaser but listen we're going to get into some other teaser trailers in a moment like even take like jordan peele's uh nope like i got a great sense of what was well, to a degree what was going on with that there's this insidious force that's fast approaching is it some sort of weather like demon creature thing in, in in the in the atmosphere but Again, you could get a sense of what was going on. This Lord of the Rings, like there's a fella climbing a mountain. There's a there's another Elrond looking uh, elf who's looking up into the sky, very pensive. You know, there's kind of things like, where are we going here? You know, I, I, I again, I I felt the same, Olivia. I came away underwhelmed. What about you, Andy? Were you underwhelmed, or do you, yeah, do you have hope? No, I'm I'm not a huge Lord of the Rings fan to begin with, but I think it's going to suffer from the same issue that we have with most prequels: is that we know where this story is going, so it's hard to build any real drama to it because we know where eventually this is going to end up and i think it's the same issues that the hobbit film suffer from it's like yeah no we've seen this but done better so what this is going to carve into especially if it's going to go run for five seasons 
you know, maybe it'll be you know, the, the better call Saul where you know, hardcores like it, but better call Saul wasn't a huge crossover hit. So I'm, I'm not sure who exactly this is for. If it's just for the hardcore Lord of the Rings fans, will it have enough legs to keep them happy for five years? Or will it be like, you know, the next Prometheus or Alien versus Predator where you're just like, well, you know, I've seen this done, but done far better and far more interesting. Oh, although yeah. I should say, although obviously, you know, given given what we do, like we've known that this 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 series has been, you know, in the pipeline for for a while now. As soon as that trailer was made available um, after the weekend, I did have family members and friends on to me saying, "There's a Lord of the Rings TV series on the way. Where is it? When's it going to be on? What's going on? What, what 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 do you know?" They were excited about it in a way that I haven't actually seen my friends and family members excited about other shows um, because, you know, there was that thing where, you know, the anticipation for every Lord of the Rings film that was out in the cinema years back was just huge. There hasn't been anything like that, I don't think, over the last 20 years since it wasn't since, since the first film. So I, I, I have seen who the audience are and I, and I do think that there might be excitement for this thing. I just don't feel it myself. Yeah, interesting times ahead. Again, Amazon, look, it's not that they're short to change, but God, a billion they're pumping into this series. Um, it's been a busy week on uh, the trailer front of well, the, the last, uh, well, I'd say just over, like I'd say maybe about eight, nine days. Um, we've gotten a new trailer for the final entry in the, the Jurassic Park slash World series, uh, Jurassic World Dominion. We were getting that. And um, we also have a new Doctor Strange trailer. And I mentioned earlier on the trailer uh, for Jordan Peele's Nope, which I think is really interesting. Uh, Olivia, had have you had a chance to check that out? I did. And it's... So you're it's, not really yeah. a horror fan, though. Sorry to cut across you. Yeah, so, you're great. <laughs> so this mightn't have landed necessarily as strong with you. No, no. Like, actually, just to, to quote the title of the film, Nope. Um, it's certainly something I actually, I remember sitting in the, the, the Dublin film festival, the surprise film. And I remember going into it way back when, and I said, if this is get out, I am getting out of here. And it was get out, but I stayed and I watched it and I was like, okay, that was a really interesting film. So the way that Jordan Peele has made his films, I just think that there, there's just a little something special in them that catches my attention even though I'm not big into the horror genre I think he taps into the kind of like thriller aspect of them a little bit as well so it's more like a mystery with the horror aspect as opposed to a full-blown spooky scary something something that I will have nightmares for even though I'm in my 30s um so with nope I was very curious about it and it's one of those ones where it's just like yeah if anyone asks me like do I know what's going on in this the answer is nope <laughs> am i excited for it though yes i am it, it definitely piques the interest um but yeah there's there is such a thing as too much uh, mystery around something it's like i'd like to have a little solid sentence i could use to describe it because at the moment i don't have that yeah if we were to try to describe what's going on andy it looks like you have it, it's set on a ranch and you've got the the horse handlers and it, for all intents and purposes, it just looks like there's a storm a coming. But it looks like there's something in this clouds that have doom written all over it. And maybe that this storm might have some sort of almost demonic like quality to it. And all hell breaks loose. Like, that's what I was taking from it. That's, that's really trying to just be as blunt as possible about what you think is going on. But I did. I find it a very impressive trailer and I'm very intrigued by it. Yeah, and I st- I'm sticking to what I said. We were talking about the, the poster this was released a couple of months ago or 
And I said that, uh, nope, I think stands for not of planet Earth. And after this trailer, I convinced it's aliens. You can see in the trailer, there's little glimpses of, you know, the, they look like the, the ones from Signs running around. There's um, stalls set up of like alien plush toys. So I think it's something down that route as well. But what I'm hoping for is that it doesn't fall into the kind of the M. Night Shyamalan thing where it's like, once you find out what it's about, it loses all interest. It loses all coherency and it's not interesting. I wasn't a huge fan of Us. Get Out, I really, really enjoy. But I just feel like this is the kind of the make break moment for Jordan Peele. Is he going to go, you know, is he going to be, you know, to, to curse him the next Spielberg or is he going to be the next M. Night Shyamalan? I think an awful lot hinges on how the mystery of this is handled and what it actually is and how rewarding that is for audiences. Andy, fair play, not of planet Earth could indeed be the the um, the title, real title for this one. Uh, there's the abbreviation being Nope. Jordan Peele's new film, looking forward to that. Chris, I mentioned at the top there, I've been busy, uh, busy few days in terms of trailers. We're getting a final Jurassic Park slash Jurassic World movie. Um, do you care at all at this at this point? Look, th- this is a series that, the, mind you, they have ever since Jurassic Park, they have been trying to milk this franchise. And I got to be honest with you, I haven't been crazy about the, the sequels by any means. I find Chris Pratt a very charming presence on screen, as is uh, Bryce Dallas Howard. Fallen Kingdom, the second in their series, just sort of came and went. This third one, they're bringing back the old team, Sam Neill, Laura Dern, and good old Jeff Goldblum is in there too, alongside Pratt and Dan Howard. So they're really trying to bring the whole team together for one big swan song. There's a lot going on in this film, but is there enough there that'll hook you in to uh, see it this uh, series? Uh, maybe. I mean, I am more excited about Nope than I am about another Jurassic World film. Uh, but look, that's it. Like when when I did watch this trailer, what, as soon as it finished, I thought, well, they just threw everything at the wall there. We have, you know, the Richard Attenborough voiceover at the beginning. We have the original band back together. The original band being Jeff Goldblum and Sam Neill and Laura Darren reprising their roles from, from the very first Jurassic Park film from 1993. Uh, we have Chris Pratt and Bryce Dallas Howard. We've got dinosaurs in the water, in the air. We've got, you know, the uh, a, a bigger T-Rex, is it? Uh, we have just, you know, dinosaurs in snow. We've got dinosaurs running around the streets and, you know, pissing people off while they're trying to watch movies at the cinema it's there's so much going on in here it's almost like colin trevorrow and everybody at universal thought yes this is going to be the last jurassic world film so let's give audiences everything let's just throw in the kitchen sink let's just do so much and bombard them uh, and bombard the senses and you know what i when i finished watching the trailer i also thought well that looks like it might be fun it looks like it might be you know uh, chaotic but somewhat enjoyable theme park of a movie and that's what this things that's what these things are supposed to be um i mean i didn't mind the first jurassic world i thought as a you know as a legacy sequel i thought it worked just fine i thought chris pratt was fine he did kind of exhaust his charm a little bit by the time it finished i thought Bryce Dallas Howard was good in it fallen kingdom kind of felt like it started out as a as a really you know uh genuinely scary or at some stage you know it, it turned into a genuinely scary sort of a uh, monster haunted house film but the whole this whole idea of of human clones at the end of it, and I'm sorry if you, if I spoiled it for anyone, but you know it has been out a few years. That just didn't. That I just thought that was spectacularly silly. I did I, I didn't enjoy that. So I'm not really sure what to make of it. But I would be lying if I said I wasn't looking forward to seeing Jeff Goldblum, who was only really in the last. He was in the last thing for in the last Jurassic film for what two minutes. He shows up at like some court hearing. I'm looking forward to seeing himself, Sam and Laura back together. Of course I am. I grew up with this film and I, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't quite excited about it. I completely yeah. forgot about the cloning thing. 
Yeah, the Kelowna thing was just, I, I mean, I did sit there at the press show a few years back and go, ah, lads, that, that, no, I, I can't get on board with that. Yeah, uh, just even saying that now is like, yeah, there's a whole thing where humans being clothed, a little girl and stuff. And it's like, yeah. that film just completely came and went. This whole trilogy actually has just completely came and went. And I think the issue with it is Chris Pratt is, was good as an everyman. And I thought they tapped into that well in Guardians of the Galaxy. But if you slim him down and buff him up and just have him, then he just becomes, you know, I'm Worthington, Paul Walker, you know, Scott Eastwood, these kind of generic nobody action heroes. And then he's got, you know, the, the weird Jesus thing on the side. You're just watching him go, I hope you get eaten in the first five minutes. And this just turns into, you know, Jeff Goldblum, Lord Aaron and Sam Neill's film. Oh, how great would that be? We need more Goldblum. Every film could do with a bit more Goldblum. And I hope he is in plenty of Thor, uh, God of Love and Thunder. I really... That said, though, I would love to see Jeff Goldblum actually play Ian Malcolm in this because although I am a big fan of Jeff Goldblum and I do agree, I mean, every day needs a bit more Jeff Goldblum. I like to see him play characters again because that was one of the things that annoyed me about. There were a lot of things that annoyed me about Independence Day Resurgence. It's just a terrible, terrible film. But it would it could have been that little bit better if Jeff Goldblum had remembered to play david from the original he just showed up and he kind of did his uh, uh mm, this is interesting you know you know that weird jeff goldblum it's like that's enjoyable when he's jeff goldblum but let's see you act again he was such a great actor he was such a great genre actor and i, I i'd love to see him return to that to actually you know put in the hard work again on screen he should have hosted the oscars oh, oh yeah that could have oh been that would have been so good that is inspired andy there we go i need jeff- to be on the panel i'll tell you who would be hosting it Amy goddamn Schumer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, listen, I don't know what they were thinking, the Oscars. But listen, that brings us nicely to uh, the end of uh, part one. Andy McCarroll, Olivia Fahey, Chris Wasser, thank you so much. The guys will be back in part two as we're going to be taking a look at the brand new Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie, which landed on Netflix this week. Did we need another Texas Chainsaw Massacre film? Well, this one wants to be the official sequel to the original 1974 Toby Hooper classic. We'll be finding out if it it deserves to stand alongside that old gem. Stay with us. We Love Movies is back shortly. We Love Movies with Gordon Hayden on Spin. Welcome back to part two of We Love Movies. But it's, it's kind of a bit of a scant week in terms of new releases. But the one that's we're considering that the pick of the litter in terms of the, kind of the, the interesting oddity that's out there is the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And this isn't a remake. This is claiming to be the, the follow-up to Toby Hooper's 1974 classic. It is produced by Fede Alvarez, who um, may, remade The Evil Dead for Sam Raimi. But before we talk about it, here is a little bit from the trailer to the new Texas Chainsaw Massacre. This is hardest to I'm afraid your old friend's back. Fifty years I've been waiting for this night. Just to see him again. Who? Leatherface. Looks like it's you that he wants. I'm not gonna let him kill you. Fear no evil. Fear no evil. So there's a little bit from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Chris Wasser, Olivia Fahey and Andy McCarroll join me. 
Uh, Chris, I've been, you know, with this, with this series now, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, there's more bad films that have been spawned since Toby Hooper's classic than any good ones, really. Like some of the sequels have been absolutely horrendous. And you kind of feel like, why are you going back to the well again? Just because the IP still has this recognition factor doesn't mean that it's always going to produce a, 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 some gold. But um. He, they're going to they're trying to do what David Gordon Green did. And this is the they're kind of claiming this is the follow up to the 74 film plot wise. What's happening here? Plot wise, this is going to annoy you, Gordon. Um, we it's present day. And this group of incredibly annoying influencers, entrepreneurial hipsters. I'm not really sure what the hell they are, but uh, there's four of them. They arrive in the, you know, the deserted town of Harlow, Texas. And they're there to kind of, you know, kickstart a new community. And there's going to be a bus following them full of more entrepreneurial, annoying influencer hipster types. And they're going to, you know, they've big plans to open up uh, uh, restaurants, diners, uh, you know, uh, yoga places, a hotel. They're going to basically take this dead town and bring it back to life. The last thing they expect to find, however, is a demented mass murderer hiding out in an orphanage. And I won't tell you how Leatherface comes about, but he has been keeping a low profile in this orphanage. And when something upsets him, I won't spoil what it is that upsets him, he decides to, you know, go a bit mad and start killing people again. So our entrepreneurial hipster pals, uh, played by um, the likes of Sarah Yarkin and Elsie Fisher, Elsie Fisher from the brilliant eighth grade. I think this is probably the first thing I've seen her in since eighth grade. They have to kind of put their gentrification plans aside because, you know, otherwise they'll get a slice in from Leatherface. So hipsters, Leatherface, carnage. And in the middle of all that, then you have Mo Dunford playing this gruff, grumpy Texan who I think is a mechanic character or he owns... One of the buildings, I'm, I'm not really sure what the hell he's doing in here, but he he's a Texan. And we also have Owen Fury, um, who pops up as the, um, she all she really does is pop up here, as, uh, as the iconic final girl, Sally Hardesty, from the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, because Marilyn Burns would have played the character uh, twice. Gordon, you'd be able to correct me on this, maybe three times throughout over the last 50 years. Uh, sadly, she passed away a few years back and it, a decision was made then to recast her. So lots of Irish interest in there. But of course, you're probably going to want to know about uh, the bigger Irish interest in terms of who was originally supposed to make this film. Yeah, it was supposed to be the two Hill brothers who made what? The Dig, which Mo Dunford starred and hence why Mo Dunford is in this film. But it's still very vague as to... Yeah why they got their marching orders. Yes. So Ryan and Andy Tohill uh, worked a lot as, you know, assistant uh, directors and writers and helped an awful lot. You know, I think they, you know, they, they, they've worked on, you know, um, productions from, I think maybe they've done, they've done some work on Game of Thrones. They did some work at Fall, but they released, uh, they worked together to direct their debut feature, The Dig. Made back in maybe 2016, 2017, released finally in 2019. They left a bit of a mark with that film. And it was, you know, it wasn't perfect, but it was this, uh, you know, hardworking, uh, quite, you know, slow burning, effective psychological drama with Mo Dunford out in front. And it was a bit of a mystery, too. And there was something there that, you know, I remember coming away thinking two things. One, I'd like to see what these guys do next. And two, Mo Dunford, I think that was the year where Mo Dunford was contractually obliged to be, you know, to star in every Irish film. And that was the year that we really started to kind of take note of his you know his his star um and so i don't know who watched the dig but the guys who have the rights to you know leatherface and texas chainsaw massacre franchise said these are our people these you know they they we we found our next directors a week into production in bulgaria they were sacked 
and we still don't know what really happened but there are still there are all sorts of stories that you know producers had a look at the dailies and said no no this is not what we're going for and said you know it's been a joy lads but you know we have to say goodbye and they brought in cinematographer david blue garcia who we understand has never made a feature before um to basically you know take the reins um so i and mo and mobile dumford I, I don't know how he must have been feeling because i mean he came along with the totals and this was supposed to be their second collaboration but he stayed behind so we don't really know what happened but if I could take a guess, Gordon, it would be that they were directing a very different type of film than the one we have, because the one we have is all about, you know, it's 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 fast food horror. It really is the worst kind of fast food horror. And I'd like to think that maybe the Totals were going to give us maybe something a little bit more nutritious, maybe a bit more something a bit more substantial and kind of focusing in on them, the drama instead of just, you know, the cheap horror effects. So do you think it could have been a real case of the old creative differences where we, was, all, yeah. we all set out to make this slow burner psychological um, a film? And then maybe when some studio bigwigs got involved, it was like, oh, no, no, come on. We need the roller coaster effect here. This needs to be a bit more like a ghost train sort of vibe. Well, you know, in, in the sense that we need to have in all that uh, slasher teen type of elements yeah. to it. Um, Andy, you've seen this and we spoke about this off air and you were saying like, this is very much a film of two halves. How so? Yeah, it very much reminded me of the the recent Hellboy uh, remake with Dave or Seek, whatever you want to call it, reboot with David Harbour, where that was played, you know, directors being fired behind the scenes instance and all this. So the first hour, much like this film, you're like, none of this is on the screen. This is actually really good. And in the case of Texas Chainsaw, it is. It's like one of them nasty bottom shelf 80s 90s kind of you know like the exorcist two or three or you know a couple of the friday the 13th sequels where you're just like this is exactly what i want it to be it's just a gory messy very inventive kills a lot of the the, the main characters get killed off and kind of surprising them out you're at the, the point where you're thinking oh, i'm not actually sure who's gonna actually finish up lasting this film mo dumford is really really good in this he just has that kind of star quality to him and this coming through i was like well this could be like a real breakout for him about an hour into the film it falls off a cliff completely <laughs> probably was written by two different people as chris said they tried to remake the the halloween you know requel or requel or legacy sequel whatever you want to call by bringing in the character of sally hardesty from texas chainsaw massacre which isn't a memorable character like you think of people like laurie strode or you think of people like ripley and again the actors that played them are iconic and in this case you've got you know, Marilyn Bournes, who, as Chris said, sadly passed away. She isn't returning. So nobody's watching this film going, oh, great. Theatre actress Olin Fury has showed up here playing a character she's never played before that wasn't that memorable to begin with. And all she does is she's running around basically brandishing a picture from the Forest film to kind of remind everybody, I'm supposed to be playing this one here. That's that's me there. And having seen Texas, like I've seen Texas Chainsaw, the original, quite a few times, she's not a particularly memorable or, you know, badass character she's just somebody who happens to survive at the end it's not as if you know she has the big standoff with Leatherface. she just escapes so it's not as if you know she ponied up and even in this like you have the, the cock and the shotgun that you have in halloween the kills get absolutely ridiculous that scene the kind of the famous scene that came out from the trailer where you know oh you're so cancelled is a horrendous cringe moment but then it's followed by an actual decent enough scene as well so it's it's like they tried to throw everything at it as well so towards the end of the film i'm thinking okay first half was really good second half was pretty bad this film is fine 
And then the last 30 seconds happened. And I just <laughs> put my fist through to the remote controllers. But no, you have whatever goodwill you have, you have completely ruined this. You haven't a clue what you were doing. And I think that shows by the fact that, you know, they watched The Dig, which was this, you know, thoughtful psychological horror. They hired the guys who were going to make a thoughtful psychological horror with the Texas Chainsaw. And they went, oh, wait, you're making a psychological horror. Yes, that is what you cast them for. And then they just decided, okay, we'll do this. We'll do that. Uh, Leatherface is going to turn into a kind of a superhero at one point. He's throwing the chainsaw around like it's Thor's hammer. And even getting the chainsaw, like they treat it like it's this, you know, big iconic character. It's like something happens, Leatherface gets annoyed. And then he starts knocking through the wall to pull the chainsaw out of the wall. You're like, who plastered that up in there? Like who in this inbred bunch of lunatic families decided need to put this chainsaw on a wall and do a fantastic job plastering it up there just so, you know, in case he goes off the deep end, he can pull it back out. None of it makes any sense. They don't like they don't try to humanize the character in any way. They don't try and make it interesting. It's just, mm. oh yeah, this thing has happened to him, and now we're gonna just make the first film again, kind of, but with different people that you don't recognize or characters who aren't that memorable to begin with in the first place. I would have to. I, I totally agree with Andy there that, that um, not an awful lot of this film makes sense, Gordon, and that's the worst part about it. That you know you're wondering did. Did the, the the screenwriters, did David Blue Garcia, did the actors, have they seen the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre? Because the, this film behaves as though they haven't. I mean, it, and, and, and Andy mentioned the last scene there. The last minute of this film, it, it annoyed me so much. And you will see. And there's something that Letterface does in the final few seconds yeah. that I thought you have it. You've completely misunderstood the ending of the first film. And you've completely missed the point of that, of the entire toby hooper original yeah I, I it's like you you've just decided it it doesn't exist and i thought a lot of this was it's quite it is quite nasty it is really nasty and it's also quite suspenseless uh, and very clumsily uh, edited i mean there's, there's actually there's 75 minutes of this thing then we get credits then we have this like maybe mid credits post credits thing and then the rest is credits so it, it's barely a film it is barely in a releasable state um but i just think that the the the, the big thing is what that 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 annoyed me was the fact that it's so gory and so deeply unpleasant when the original wasn't i mean the premise and what actually happens in it is obviously awful it's obviously the worst kind of horror but toby hooper worked very hard because he wanted he wanted as many people as possible to see his original 1973 film and it that meant trying to cut back trying to scale back on on the type of horror that the audience would see so that it wouldn't get an r rating now eventually that didn't work out for him but he still released the, the uh that that film where you know more was kind of suggested or you know more you know the, the camera would pan away from the horror every now and then it wasn't particularly gory this one just doubles down on the gore and you know it's 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 all the worst for us chris actually makes a fantastic point there which really annoys me the original film despite the name texas chainsaw massacre isn't very bloody and it was like i keep thinking this is what happened with the original directors where they were making that and then the producer said you're making a film called texas chainsaw massacre you know think of the original it needs to be bloody and they went have you seen the original because that's not what happens and another thing with that is one the house he's living in now and the, the character, Oliver, is she living in the house from the first film? How, how has that happened as well? She seems to be living in Leatherface's yeah. house and Leatherface is living in some random street in the middle of Texas. That's never explained how that happens either. It's just like, eh, there's the iconic house. Like, yeah, okay, why is Leatherface not there? And why is the, the victim all of a sudden has decided to, you know, buy and move into this house that she was, you know, had the worst moment of her life in? I'm really shocked that they've really dropped the ball on this. Uh, Kristen, when you mentioned there about the duration, 
that it, it's barely a film that when you take in the credits uh, alone, it, it's lucky if it clocks in at what, 70 odd minutes. It sounds like Kathleen Kennedy was a producer on this film, hiring people and then realizing, oh, actually, no, no we, don't, we don't need them whatsoever. Livy, you're listening to all of this. Are you intrigued? Like, I know you're not a big horror fan, but the fact that this seems like an absolute mess on arrival, do you think this is the death knell potentially for, uh, for Texas Chainsaw Massacre? Would you even be bothered watching it? Honestly, it's one of those ones where it's like, okay, I know that I'm not, I haven't really seen a lot of the Halloweens or Friday the 13th, uh, the Nightmare on Elm Street, that type of stuff. Like, I know, like, all those classic horrors that keep getting reboot after reboot after reboot. But this is the one that I probably know the least amount. And I think that's saying something considering how, how little I know about the other ones as well. But, like, I couldn't have told you anything about. Leatherface and even then it's like it's only when the guys were saying that it's Leatherface I was like oh that's this one all right Grant but I couldn't have told you what what franchise he was from even beforehand and I think that if this isn't going as well for him and especially after the most recent Halloween film didn't exactly go down too well it's like I do think that this could spell the end not only for it but also the whole rebooting all of these horror franchises as a whole because I don't think there's the interest like I know the recent Scream film actually ended up doing quite well and even though we said hopefully they weren't going to do another one they did um so like Scream 6 is on on its way but in this sense like I think for these this genre of classic horror I do genuinely think that everybody's just losing their patience with them they're never as good as the originals and the studios just need to start listening to what the people actually want, which is like, even if people are paying to go see them, they're talking so much baloney about it afterwards that it's just maybe not worth it. Like the PR afterwards is a nightmare. So I'd say like, lads, just give it a rest. I see. I don't think Leatherface is in the same league as Freddie or Jason or Michael Myers, as much as he's got that iconic look and everything but he doesn't lend himself to loads of sequels. That's my mm. my take on Leatherface. We're very tight for time, but Andy, Chris, uh, out of 10, Chris, first to you, what are we giving this new Texas Chainsaw Massacre? I don't want to give it anything. Um, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I I feel like we should maybe award Mo Dunford for, you know, at least, you know, trying to make something of a character out of what he was doing. Look, Gordon, as I said, this thing is only 75 minutes long. I don't think it started that way. I would love to know, not see, but I would love to know how much was was left on the cutting room floor because there are ideas in here and there are sections that you think, I'd say there was more more to that. Even what Andy was saying about where people are from, where they're living now, what happened to certain characters, I'd say an awful lot was chopped and cut from from this film. So I'll give it two out of 10 because, you know, it was quite short and Mo Dunford looks as though he's trying but it's a nasty, unpleasant thing of a film. And I just, I don't, I, I, I hate that it exists. Oh, wow. It's that bad. Because the last time they tried to remake Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Andy, Texas Chainsaw 3D, it flopped. So you kind of start to think, is there an audience out there outside of the big horror hounds like ourselves? Andy, out of 10, what are we given? It's weird that Chris says, you know, it's a nasty, horrible film as a bad thing. Whereas I was saying, that's a nasty, horrible film. That's a good thing for a Texas Chainsaw film. But yeah, it it would have been five only for that last scene, which I have to knock a point off because it is genuinely one of the worst endings to anything I've ever seen. And like Chris said, it just ruins the legacy of that first film with one shot in particular. So I'm going to go four out of 10, which is disappointing because it started so well and then just fell off a cliff. So... Four out of ten for me. If you're a hardcore horror completionist, 
give it a watch and then let me know how annoyed you were at the end. Oh, can't wait to see what that finale is just to check that out. I'm I'm really intrigued. There you go. That is our review of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which is now available on Netflix. And that is our lot for this week on We Love Movies. For me, Gordon Hayden, Chris Wasser, Olivia Fahey and Andy McCarroll, thank you so much for your time. We'll do it all again next week from 8 right here on Spin.